Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. Yes, I am trying to step up my IG game. So make sure you guys follow me on IG as well at MMA LOTN. This week, we are going over the UFC 271 card headlined by Act Two of Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker, not to mention a couple other great fights on the card like Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa or Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson, which could easily be the number one contender fight for that main event slot. So uh, a couple other great fights sprinkled out throughout the card, like I said. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I love pay-per-view cards, and it's weird to actually have UFC 270, then a week break, then one fight night, and then we're back to a pay-per-view card because the next pay-per-view card we're having is March 5th. So uh, again, it seems like the pay-per-view cards are coming pretty quickly nowadays, which I I don't mind. I'm completely fine with that, especially with the big fights that we're getting in these slots. Uh, As always, let's go over the last event, which was UFC Vegas 47, uh, and we come out with a slight loss. well, we'll start off with the losses. The prelims didn't really go the greatest for us. Uh, I did have Davis in a parlay. She was able to go out there and get the win over Stoliarenko, but I had her parlayed with Miles Johns, the squarish parlay you could ever make for that card, and I blasted it. I and one and a half units I had on it. Obviously, I missed on that. Uh, and I'm going to be doing my best to move forward and not have any lazy plays like that. I feel like that's a lazy play to just parlay two minus 200s and think that they're going to hit. Not you know, not to say I didn't think that both people were going to win. I truly believed they were going to win. But it, it, Miles Johns was a little bit sketchy. We'll, we'll say that to begin with. But uh, the other spots, I had one unit on Danilo Marquez at uh, plus 310 against Jalton Almeida. I was completely off on my read there and I'm willing to admit it and that's something that we have to do as predictors, analysts, and gamblers. We have to admit when we were wrong and I was absolutely wrong in that spot. So shout out to everybody that went in on Jilton at minus 400. He looked minus 5,000. I'll admit it. Uh, next up, I had three units in total on Mark Andre Barrio. Uh, that fight didn't even get to get started, man. Chidi did a very good job in terms of uh, kind of just pressuring him into the cage and then eventually unloading with that uh, two strikes that put him down and ultimately followed up with that ground and pound to get him out of there. Uh, I've seen Barrio take shots from towering light heavyweights in the past with massive knockout power uh, and never went down. Yet, Trini and Jaquani just needed to snipe him, and that was all it took. So, uh, can't really cap those types of things. Uh, Is what it is. I was happy with the line that I got. We just didn't get to see the fight play out. Uh, And unfortunately, we'll never get to see it again either, right? What are the chances that Trini and Jaquani and Marc-Andre Barrio are ever going to run this fight back, right? It's probably never going to happen. But uh, I'll still be looking to back Barrio going into the future, obviously depending on who his opponent is. Uh, This fight doesn't really tell us much other than Chitty's a fucking sniper pretty much uh then we had the the dog of the night play which hit for us it was one unit on prime battle at plus 145 against Trishan gore i wish i went deeper in that spot again prime example of a spot where uh the the guy who was the favorite didn't deserve to be the favorite right three and old guy sure it looks shiny when he strikes the way that he strikes and has a couple of knockouts on his record but but the guy just looked overconfident coming into fight week even talking about being a potential double champ like chill dog you got to get the win in the UFC first and it seems like he just let it slip through his fingers uh kind of was shocked by the moment once he got there and just didn't really have much success outside of that second round where he hurt battle a little bit but it just couldn't get the job done either 
Uh, and then the lock of the night play comes through, which I'm happy about. Four and a half units at minus 207 on Sean Strickland. No idea how that was a split, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, that cashes for 2.17 units. At the end of the day, we are down 1.88 units on that card. Again, a couple lazy bets on the over, uh, sorry, that parlay. That was a unit and a half. Uh, and then uh, maybe even the, the Danilo one. I don't really regret that one. Again, I felt strong with my read going into that. And a plus 310 didn't have to con convince me too much, but my read was totally off on that. All in all, minus 1.88 units, like I said. But eyes already on UFC 271. That is That was the first event of eight straight UFC events that we got coming up. So no point in licking our wounds let's just move right on and luckily i already have my lock of the night play pays placed for this ufc 271 card not to mention a couple other spots that i've already fired off on uh, i love uh, several spots on this card so i'll be having uh, a decent amount of bets for this card and i can't wait to see how they play out for you guys all of this stuff is already posted up on the Patreon. Shout out to all the guys that are already on the Patreon. Have They have early access to all these breakdowns that you guys are about to see. Not to mention the best bets and props article, uh, which goes over every single fight, gives you the best bet and best prop, at least from my perspective, as well as a little bit of... Uh, insight in terms of how you should be thinking about this fight from a live betting perspective as well not to mention the pay-per-view parlay for the patrons which is a um uh, I, I give out a poll to my patrons they pick on their four favorite spots on the entire card based on those votes i will place a parlay on those four spots and uh based on five percent of my monthly earnings from uh patreon and if that parlay hits uh, I send out the winnings to a random patron member. So uh, another great incentive for you guys to join the community, not to mention a great Discord community as well, because those guys are absolutely killing it in there. All right, that's pretty much a wrap on the intro here. Uh, without further ado, let's just get into the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoy it. Jeremiah Wells versus Mike Matheta. Uh, I believe it's Mike Matheta or Blood Diamond, depending on what they're going to be going with. But uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 235 for the Philly product, Jeremiah Wills, and plus 190 the return on uh, Israel's, Israel Adesanya's training partner, apparently. Uh, so uh, interesting matchup here and interesting with the fact that uh, Matheta is even inside the UFC. Uh, for some reason, it seems like a little bit of a favor maybe that they're doing to Israel Adesanya, similar to what they've done in the past with guys like Chris Avila and Nate Diaz or Martin Sano and Nick Diaz or even uh if you guys remember Mariano uh Morais I can't remember uh, Marcos Mariano that was the guy's name for Anderson Silva uh and to a certain extent Artem Lovov and Karno McGregor uh the guy doesn't really seem to be deserving of being in the UFC right he has a third uh 3-0 and record I believe he's 33 years old at this point in time 32 or 33 years old uh and uh, he's a kickboxer pretty much right there's a lot of holes that we can see in some of the tape that we're able to run. I believe there's highlights of one fight where he was actually able to get a submission victory over his opponent who didn't really look like much opposition at all. And then in his next fight, even though he won it, uh, there were a large amounts, large amounts of time where he was just being pushed up against the cage and controlled and and uh didn't really seem to be too comfortable like he was landing knees and stuff in the in the clinch against the cage but it just didn't look nice in terms of how easy it was to push him there and i feel like a guy in jeremiah wells who more often than not tries to drag his opponents to the ground either get ground and pound going or a submission going 
it seems like it's going to be pretty easy for him to do so. And this minus 235 line might be a little bit of a gift. Uh, his inside the distance line is currently sitting at minus 125, which I think is probably the best way to play this as I think he's going to be able to get Mateta out of there pretty easily. Um, I think the way for Mike to win this fight is uh, trying to stay on the outside and find that kill shot. Uh, but um, I think Wells has seen uh, much harder kill shots in the past. And in terms of cardio, Wells you know, doesn't really blow you out of the water with his cardio, but neither does Mateta. So um, again, I don't see really where Mateta has an advantage. Uh, I think Wells is a pretty good spot in this uh, fight. And unless we've seen a drastic or unless there is a drastic improvement in Mateta's game over the two years that he's been out of the cage, I don't know what he's even doing to deserve to be inside of it, uh, at least in the UFC. So uh, I'm pretty high on the Jeremiah Wells side here, and I'm pretty high on the fact that he's going to be able to go out there and get a finish as well. So I'm going to call it uh, first round submission for Jeremiah Wells. Douglas Silva, Deandrade versus Sergey Morozov. We got minus 220 on Morozov and plus 180 on the veteran Douglas Silva, Deandrade. Now, Douglas Silva is coming off a beautiful KO knockout of Gaetano Pirello back in uh, a couple months ago, actually. I'm trying to recall right off the top of my head. But uh, beautiful performance from him there. Uh, landed nice and early on him and then eventually caught him beautifully with a check left hook as uh, I don't know what Gaetano was trying to do, trying to close the distance with his hands down. But uh, eight. Uh, a completely clean shot from Douglas there and eventually got put out. Uh, before that, Lerone Murphy was able to take out Douglas via decision. Um, but there are a couple fights on his record that make me believe that this is not a good um, stylistic matchup for him. Obviously, I don't want to bring up the Piotr Jan fight because Piotr Jan is fucking Piotr Jan. But he obviously had some grappling success against Douglas late in that fight, punishing him on the ground, eventually making uh, his corner stop the fight. Uh, and even Henan Barrow. Now, people might gloss over that fight just saying, oh, he got a win over him. No duh. But go back and watch that fight. There were some spots where it got a little fishy for Douglas. He was struggling to get out from under Henan Barrow, which was very uh, puzzling. And Henan had a lot of success trying to take him down, right? There wasn't uh, many stuffed opportunities from Douglas that night. But Henan, uh, pretty much when he wanted to, almost when he wanted to, uh, he was able to ground that fight. But... Osiris Maya, and if I'm not mistaken, that's actually Damian Maya's brother, uh, was kind of standing them up a little bit quicker than I expected. You know, if there was another ref or if there was somewhere else in the world, maybe they would have let that fight continue on from the on the ground and Henan Burrell probably would have got his hand raised via decision just off of control time. Because that's exactly what I'm expecting my guy Sergey Morozov to do. Now, I'm very happy that I was able to get him at an underdog price last time around against Khalid Taha. Uh, absolute disgrace that he was a, an underdog in that fight. And he let it be known right off the bat. Took down Khalid plenty of times that night. And he has some decent boxing as well to compensate uh, the you know closing the distance and getting his wrestling going. He's very sharp with his hands. Uh, pretty good with kind of evading big shots from his opponents. And I get it. He lost to Umer Numraga made of in his UFC debut um but he was a plus 400 dog, and it's Umar freaking Nurmagomedov, right? So a very tough debut for him to go up against in what was Umar's uh, uh, UFC debut as well. But uh, it was absolutely atrocious, the fact that he was an underdog uh, in his next fight against Khalid, who was a much easier opponent for him to take care of. And that's exactly what he did. I said after that performance, I'd be surprised if we get uh, Sergey anywhere around minus 200 again, depending on his opponent, of course. And here as well, I thought he'd be a little 
little bit wider. Maybe come fight week, uh, the line will start to balloon up to that minus 300, minus 400 range. But, you know, I, I'm shooting this on the Friday before fight week, and uh, he's still hanging around minus 220, which I think is a steal of a line. Uh, he has a decent chin. Obviously, Umer was able to test it, but he has a little bit more of an unorthodox striking style compared to the meat and potato style of Douglas Silva DeAndrage. And Andrade could obviously clip him, but sometimes when he throws his big shots, he kind of overextends, leaving himself to be open. And that's where a lot of uh, his opponents are able to land the takedowns. And that's where I think Sergey is going to be ready to go for as well. Uh, training at American Top Team as well for the last couple fights now for Sergey Morozov is a huge plus for him. And I think they're going to be able to devise a perfect game plan to go out there and beat a guy like Douglas. So I'm all over Sergey Morozov here. I love him in this spot. Um, as of this recording, I already have three units on him. I might add another two and make him my lock of the night play as I am that uh, impressed and um, sold on him. I think that this is a perfect spot for him to win. The only way he loses is if Andrade knocks him out. And, you know, I'd be willing to take my shot uh, given how much better Morozov is in, uh, how much better Morozov is overall as a fighter. So uh, I'm going Morozov and I think he absolutely dominates Silva Andrade here. And I think he wins via decision. AJ Dobson versus Jacob Malkoon. We got minus 150 on the Contender Series alum and plus 130 the return on Robert Whitaker's training partner, Jacob Malkoon. Now, last time we saw Malkoon in the cage, he came in as a hefty underdog to Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Luckily, he was able to get his grappling game going, drown Al Hassan, and really suck the energy and power out of him, allowing to just allowing him to just go out there and grapple his way to a decision victory. A lot of people were very low on him, obviously given that in his UFC debut he got starched by Phil Hawes in mere seconds uh, but people kind of just wrote him off and, and thought that the same fate would happen to Al Hassan who you know to be fair has a, a plethora of first round finishes on his record so I kind of get it but the odds were just absolutely off on that fight now we get another similar build guy like maybe not physically speaking but uh, the same type of style where they want to go out there and knock his opponent's head off that's exactly what we're getting in AJ Dobson here with a ton of power uh he showed in the in the contender series fight against arcaga where he hurt it on numerous occasions eventually sinking in a rear naked choke near the ending of that first round to get his hand raised someone notable that we saw in his corner that night was mark coleman and you see a lot of the work that dobson is doing is in that ohio area mainly out of immortal mma i believe that's the name of it but it's actually matt brown's gym but he's been cross training as well over there at strong style which is stipe's gym as well so getting some solid rounds in with solid guys, you got to believe, uh, but not to mention uh, the one part of AJ's game we haven't really seen on tape, at least tape that's available, is his grappling game because that's going to be tested a lot here in a guy in Jacob Malkun who's going to be shooting for the legs almost immediately. So we almost have to trust that his grappling is ready to go, that his wrestling is ready to go, especially considering the camps that he's with. There is one fight that has gone to a decision on his uh, pro record, uh, and that was against uh, a guy named, uh, who was the guy? I, I can't recall his name, but the opponent was 2-1 and one at the time. He beat him via decision, and now that opponent actually has a record of 3-7. and seven. So uh, we don't know how much we can truly take from that fight, but then again, we haven't seen footage of it. I wasn't able to find it while doing my tape index uh, uh, archiving. Uh, I've reached out to the promoter of that uh, uh, company. I believe it's Iron Tiger Fight Series, uh, seeing if they have footage of that fight that they can release. Uh, but 
even if it shows us uh, him defending takedowns and grappling this guy heavily and having success in that realm, how much can we really take from him being a three and seven fighter now? So that's a little bit of a concern. But I still slightly favor him. Uh, I still give him like a 55% rating here as I do think he, from what we've seen, it looks like he's kind of well-versed in the grappling realm from what we saw in the Arcaga fight. Uh, and maybe that should be enough for allow uh, to allow him to stay the, to keep the fight on the feet and eventually find that knockout against Malkun. The question mark is, what does his cardio look like, right? When he does get stretched into a, a second and third round, and it's going to be a lot of grappling, uh, taxing his muscles and his power and his energy reserves, how is he going to fare in rounds two and three? Because if he's not going to be able to knock out uh, Malkun or stop takedowns there, that's where Malkun starts to take over. So a couple ways you can approach this. Maybe... Uh, Dobson by KO or a live bet on Malkun going into round two if it looks like the body language of Dobson is not that good going into the corner uh, after round one but uh, as an official prediction and as official pick I'm actually going to go with Dobson here I, I think I'm going to trust in his training camp and the guys that he's been around that he should be ready for a grapple heavy approach and then eventually let his hands go to knock out Jacob Malkun so official prediction is going to be knockout first round for AJ Dobson Carlos Alberg versus Fabio Charant. We got minus 240 on Carlos Alberg and plus 195 the return on Fabio Charant. Now, pretty easy fight to break down in a sense, right? You got Carlos Alberg with the kickboxing background and came up short in his UFC debut when he took on Kennedy and Zetchuku as a minus 250 favorite, similar position to where he's at for this weekend. And uh, he came up short, man. He he really hurt and rocked uh, Kennedy and Zetchuku early in that fight. Not sure if he blew his wad earlier or whatever it was, but he did seem to start slow, slowing down in that second round. And that's where Kennedy and Zetchuku was able to get him out of there. Uh, Kennedy had a very good game plan though well kind of right it's one thing to just put your back on the cage and just cover up and just let your opponent kind of Homer Simpsons themselves out right like if you guys remember that uh, that kind of uh, that episode from uh, the Simpsons where Homer just lets his opponents beat up on on him until they gas out and then he goes out there and throws one punch and they go out so uh that's pretty much what kennedy was trying to do uh, at certain points but when he was able to get off the cage he did a very good job in terms of pressuring carlos and really making him work and that seemed to be the majority of the game plan right that was pushing Goldberg, uh pushing him to his brink of, of breaking and that's exactly what happened uh at the ending of that second round with kennedy picking up the win that night so shout out to kennedy for being able to do that but Luckily for Alberg, he has a bit of an easier test in front of him here in Fabio Charant. Now, Charant has, you know, a little bit more of a game, right? You've seen him in past fights take fights to the ground and try to grind out his opponents. And we've seen him go 25 minutes with another kickboxer in Myron Dennis for an LFA title right before he got signed to the UFC uh, and fought Alonzo um Alonzo Menafield The issue here, though, is uh, it just doesn't look well or good when he's eating shots. And even though he was doing a good job in the first part of that um, that William Knight fight, uh, you know, again, it was kind of inactive, and at least uh, William Knight was inactive. Fabio Chiron managed to get some numbers up there, not like crazy high output, but definitely more than what William was doing, and William was doing nothing at all until he uncorked a beautiful counter and eventually put Fabio Chiron's lights out, and that's possibly what could happen in this ball with Alberg. Chiron uh, is now training down there at Sanford MMA, so I'm interested to see if they're able to kind of mold his game to where it needs to be to beat a guy like Olberg 
because as of right now, the product that we're getting from Charant, uh, it makes me believe that uh, Alberg will absolutely go in there and uh, put this kid's lights out as well. Uh, I'm not too keen on backing Alberg at minus 240. Like I said, if this fight does get extended and Charant does have some grappling success, he could absolutely find some success and pull off the upset in this fight. But I just don't like how he reacts to getting hit. And I feel with the three-inch height and reach advantage that Alberg is going to have in this situation, he's going to use every inch of that. And I think he'll be able to finally snipe Charant probably in the first or early second round to eventually get him out of there. There have been fights, or at least one fight we've seen from Alberg in the past where he's okay with just playing on the outside. And uh, if his opponent is kind of willing to uh, do that as well, just stay on the outside, he just outpoints them over 15 minutes. And that's possibly what could happen here, right? Maybe Alberg learned a lesson from his last fight against Kennedy and not emptying the gas tank when he might be having the guy uh, on, on wobbly legs. But uh, I feel like a perfectly timed shot here against Schrant will put Schrant down. Uh, again, I'm not keen on betting on it. Like I said, it's uh, the line is a little bit too wide for me. I'm interested to see what the KO line is going to look like. If that's around plus money, I wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a shot there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ober gets it done. Uh, not too high up on this matchup myself. So uh, in terms of official prediction, let's go with Carlos Olberg, and I'll take him to win this fight by first round knockout. Hanato Moicano versus Alexander Hernandez. We got minus 180 on Moicano and plus 155 the return on Alexander Hernandez. Now, the over-under is something that I was very uh, interested in for this fight, but it seems like the early total is set at one and a half. I have no real interest in that. I would rather have the two and a half here. So uh, starting off on the Moicano side as the minus 180 favorite here, uh, we... Um, are kind of accustomed to him going out there and and taking a grapple heavy approach in his last couple fights uh he even said it after one of his uh, fights where he was able to bounce back and get a victory that he fell too much in love with his striking and that's what was ultimately causing the losses in his career but when he starts getting that grappling going he's very difficult to deal with and jaya herbert found that out firsthand uh, last time around we saw it with the demir hadzovich fight as well uh very difficult to deal with this guy once he drags it to the ground uh, his striking is good, but his durability is questionable, and that's why I don't have uber confidence in, in him in the spot. On the flip side, Alexander Hernandez last time around starched Mike Breeden pretty quickly into their fight, but before that, I had two units on him against Tiago Moises. I believe I got him around minus 180, minus 190 or something, but I thought that was a great spot for him to go out there and just style, right? I just didn't realize that Tiago Moises had the striking to keep up with him because he absolutely outstruck him in that fight. I thought Moises needed to drag the fight to the ground to have success against Hernandez, but he didn't need that at all. He broke Hernandez at a certain point because he was landing combinations, landing head kicks, even hurting him a couple times. Uh, didn't even shoot that much, right? I thought Hernandez would have the wrestling advantage, which is why I expected this fight to play out on the feet. And then on the feet, I thought the power and the aggressiveness of Hernandez was going to be too much. But Moises was more than ready for that challenge, and he was able to uh, dispatch Hernandez over 15 minutes in that fight. Uh, on the flip side, with Hanato Moicano, like I said, uh, coming off of grapple-heavy approaches and being successful with it, I'm wondering what his approach is going to be here, right? I think that Hernandez is probably the better uh, wrestler, but if uh, Moicano can, you know, get his hands locked around Hernandez, get him into those clinch positions, he could either kind of find a trip, uh, find a, a scramble opportunity where he could jump on the back of Hernandez. Those are absolutely live in this position. But then on the feet, if he gets touched once by Hernandez properly, his lights could go out. So I don't have uber confidence on either side to be like, this guy should be a lock or this guy should be the favorite or not. Uh, actually, I, sorry, 
and let me retract that. I do think Kanato Moicano should be the favorite because I believe he's the overall better fighter, especially if his durability holds up. Because if this does turn into a 15-minute uh, kickboxing fight, he could possibly get the better of it with his striking. He has great leg kicks, as we saw in the Calvin Cater fight uh, a couple years ago, and even just his ability to, to strike with his opponents. Like A lot of people are having uh, issues with him there unless they find that chin or that stomach like uh, Jose Aldo was able to find as well. Uh, I, I just don't have enough faith in the Alexander Hernandez side. You know, I need him to go out there and not beat up on guys that are making their debut on short notice or they're not named Chris Gritzmacher, right? I need him to go out there and show me that, which is why I wanted the under two and a half in this fight if that's the total they eventually switch over to later this week. Um, if it's at plus money or even around minus 120, minus 130, I'll likely take a shot there because both guys have finishing upside. Um, I will still pick... Uh, Moicano, I do think Moicano uh, still has the chop to, chops to go out there and, and find a submission at a certain point in this fight. Maybe it's a club and sub situation. Maybe it's a spot where he does successfully get a trip going and then hops on the back of Hernandez. Uh, but I do like Moicano in this spot. Uh, minus 180, a little bit wide for me, but I do think he still gets it done inside the distance. Under two and a half would be my you know, best bet for this fight. Uh, but that is if that is the... Um, widely available total that starts to get released so uh official prediction i'm gonna go ahead not to Moicano. let's call it second round submission ronnie lawrence versus manda martinez we got minus 305 on lawrence and plus 240 the return on martinez uh now last time we were supposed to see ronnie lawrence go out there and compete in the cage was uh a couple months ago unfortunately he was not able to make it to the scale botched his weight cut exactly the wording that we uh topology decided to use there uh but he didn't make it to the cage and uh or sorry make it to the scale and when he was scheduled to fight trevin jones luckily we still get to see him this weekend, uh, and hopefully he's been able to get his weight cut under uh, under control because this guy could be a problem in this 135-pound uh, division given the style that he fights with. Uh, I've seen him sometimes at uh, Sanford MMA. I believe sometimes he send, uh, spends time at uh, uh, in Tennessee as well, uh, but I think uh, his home base for now should be that Sanford MMA crew. But, man, the guy has some good skills, right? Um, coming into the contender series against Jose Johnson, I believe the kid's name was, he was a plus 250 underdog. Not a lot of people expected him to go out there and get the win that way that he did, but he landed 12 takedowns and not to mention a, a control time of almost 10 minutes that he was able to control Jose Johnson and obviously win that fight. Then in his debut, pretty much replicates the same thing, but manages to get the finish in the third round over Vincent Cachero. Um, and I think he's going to be able to do the same thing here against Martinez, who is coming off the second ever decision in his career, I believe in his 11 fight career. Uh, and uh, that was kind of surprising as a lot of people thought with the Guido Canetti matchup that it was a perfect opportunity for that fight doesn't go to decision to hit. I know there's a lot of people that was par that were parlaying the fight doesn't go to decision there. So I was kind of surprised to see it go a decision. Um, uh, but I think this is a spot where we could see it actually go under. And the under is actually sitting around plus money at the time of this recording. And I think that's a damn good spot considering I expect this fight uh, to be high-paced because of Ronnie Lawrence. And I think once Lawrence starts to get this fight to the ground, uh, it's going to be easy to get Mar Martinez out of there. So uh, I like Lawrence a lot in this spot. Again, like I said, he has a lot of potential. He moves well. He kicks well from the outside. He times his entries very well. His takedowns are pristine as well. And I think it's going to be difficult for Martinez to get a beat on 
on what Lawrence is doing and that's ultimately going to put him on his back and then from there I think we see Lawrence just overwhelm him and then eventually get him out of there either with a TKO or a submission so uh, I really like Lawrence in this spot I completely understand why he's in that minus 300 range he is absolutely deserving of being in that range and uh, I wouldn't be mad at anybody looking to parlay him here. Uh, I wouldn't even ma- mind looking at the inside the distance line for him as well because uh, that seems to be a pretty good spot for him uh, in this fight against Martinez. So, uh, yeah, Martinez, decent striking. We've seen him knock out guys pretty quickly in fights. Uh, so unless he catches Ronnie Lawrence on the entry of a takedown or even some of the combinations he likes to throw and-, and catches him with the perfect shot, I just don't see how Martinez comes out with the with the W in this fight. So the only thing I will caution us with wait until fight day or sorry wait until weigh-in day for ronnie lawrence see if he makes it to the scale properly like outside of that botched weight cut against trevin jones he's never really had issues he's always made weight on the scales no matter who he's facing or what weight class he's been fighting at and i'm expecting the same thing this weekend that he will show up with a point to make i'm sure he was embarrassed of the last debacle on the scales or actually not even making it to the scales like i said uh so i'm hoping that he'll come in there at that right at that 135 pound limit that would be great to kind of make a statement as well but in terms of the fight here stylistically speaking i think he blows through martinez and i think he even finishes him so uh official prediction we're gonna go ronnie lawrence and i'll take him to win let's call it uh second round tko maxime grishin versus william knight we got minus 165 on the maxime grishin side and plus 145 on william knight now william knight's coming off a pretty controversial decision victory last time over alonzo menafield in a fight that i and it seems like a lot of people scored 29 28 for alonzo menafield uh easily you could give the first round to william knight given that he did rock and hurt alonzo menafield near the ending of that round but in the second round seemed like menafield was getting the better of him and then in the third round very slow paced round right you get alonzo menafield controlling him up against the cage for close to three and a half to four minutes and then when they finally separate near the ending of that round you see William Knight start to unload on some shots but a lot of those shots were missing there wasn't really any spots that Alonzo Menafield looked like he was in any sort of trouble yet the majority of the judges scored it for Alonzo or sorry William Knight in that third round which I found surprising I thought the control time was more than enough uh, compared to the little bit that William Knight was able to put together in the last 45 seconds of that third round but doesn't matter he comes out on the winning end and now here he comes in against the guy Maxine Grisham who will likely uh, be a very tough task for him in this spot uh, Grisham very big light heavyweight he actually missed weight the last time around against Dustin Jacoby by four pounds uh, so hopefully he has that under uh, control this time around especially considering that it looked like he started to slow down later in that fight against Jacoby and that's where Jacoby was able to start ta- taking over in the second and third rounds out striking him landing the bigger better shots and just being more active as as well uh i do think that grishan matches up very well against william knight here uh they're going to be at a huge uh, size disadvantage with thick willie always being the shorter guy at light heavyweight but on the matching grishan side like i said very big heavyweight fight or light heavyweight fighter who actually used to compete at heavyweight and even has a win over alexander volkov uh from back in the day so it just lets you know the type of competition he's been going at for the majority of his career but I think he's going to have success in terms of holding William Knight up against the cage, similar to what Alonzo Menafield was able to do. And even when they're at range, I do think that Maxim Grisham will get the better of those exchanges, kind of pot-shotting him from the outside, even kicking him to cut, try to keep William Knight on the outside. 
The only way I really see Knight winning this fight is if he's able to catch Grishin clean on the chin. And that's absolutely possible, right? We saw him do it against Fabio Charant two fights ago, uh, especially on a lazy entry from Fabio. I'm hoping that we don't see that from Grishin here as uh, again that's the only way that William Knight really wins this fight if Grishin just plays it safe stays on the outside he could absolutely go out there and win this fight just off of discipline alone so uh, I like the Russian in this spot uh, maybe a, you know a buy low spot for him as well around that minus 165 line considering that he in my opinion should be a slightly bigger favorite in this spot William Knight you know a lot of his uh, success is dependent on him getting the knockout and if he doesn't Sometimes he loses, or he has won a couple decisions on his record, but now you're taking steps up in competition, and especially in the UFC, it's going to be hard to come by decision victories, especially with the way that he fights. So I'm going Maxime Grishin. Uh, I think he's a good spot this weekend, and I do think he wins this fight via decision. Alex Perez versus Matt Schnell. We got minus 320 on Alex Perez and plus 260 return on Matt Schnell. Now, some people might be low on Alex Perez because of his last performance where he just put himself into a guillotine and got submitted by uh, Davison Figueiredo. Uh, however, at minus 320, seems to be a decent amount of people backing him as well. And I do think that he is a trustworthy spot here against the guy in Matt Schnell. So Alex Perez, in my opinion, he has solid fight IQ right like he knew his best way to win the fight against Figueredo was to take that fight to the ground and he wasted no time doing so getting the fight to the ground or attempting to but he did fall victim to that guillotine choke of Davison Figueredo a lot of people might look at that and be like come on dog how could you get your get yourself submitted in such a big spot by such a you know a rookie type of mistake however again in my opinion it was a, it was a good idea for him to take the fight to the ground because he probably would have got lit up on the feet um in the Juicier Formiga fight high level BJJ black belt Juicier Formiga Alex Perez decided to go out there and just calf kick him to death eventually getting that finish at the ending of that first round so good fight IQ from him there then in past fights where we've seen him have the grappling advantage over his opponents with not much to worry about in regards to the jiu-jitsu coming back his way he takes these guys to the ground, grinds them out, finds a finish from on top, or grinds them to a decision victory. I'm expecting that Alex Perez this weekend against Matchnell. Matchnell is a solid striker. I think he's the better technical boxer out of both of the guys, but his takedown defense leaves a little bit to be desired. And although he is active off of his back at times, I do think that Perez will have tremendous success in terms of controlling him and getting some dominant positions of his own from on top and possibly even finding a finish as well, whether it's ground and pound or a submission himself. Eileen Perez, I think he is parlayable in this spot. I think he redeems himself pretty emphatically here. And, uh, you know, whether you want to take the under or even take Perez by uh, by inside the distance, I think both are good bets here because I think that we'll see Perez have tremendous success. Again, dragging this fight to the ground. I like his takedowns. His entries are great. Match, no. Again, good striker, but I think he's not going to be able to really let that go, especially with the takedown attempts that are going to be coming his way. And uh, that's, I think, where, that's where I think we'll see Perez have of, uh, his success and his ability to get his hand raised here so I, I like Perez I think he bounces back I like him inside the distance as well but I wouldn't mind just you know parlaying him at around minus 300 as I do think he is a safe enough spot this weekend so um, I'm gonna go Perez let's go second round TKO via ground and pound Roxanne Mataferi versus Casey O'Neill. We got minus 365 on the streaking prospect Casey O'Neill and plus 280 the return on Roxanne Mataferi, who will be stepping into the cage for the last time, according to her. Um, 
just on a, a gossipy side apparently she uh has a significant other i believe that they intend on having a family together in the near future or you know a little bit later into the future uh, and i believe that's truly why she's starting to hang it up not to mention she's getting up there in age uh and she can't really hang with some of these uh women that are you know have her beat uh, athletically or even skill wise but this fight against Casey O'Neill, in my opinion, is closer than the odds suggest. Uh, don't get me wrong. I still think Casey O'Neill deserves to be the favorite, being she's the younger, more explosive fighter. But if we go back and, you know, watch the performances and not just the results from Casey O'Neill, uh, you will absolutely be able to see that this should be lined closely, right? Uh, Casey O'Neill has issues at times kind of being put up against the fence or even being taken down, even to the extent that uh, when she fought Lara Procopio, all three judges gave the first round to Procopio off of what Roxanne Modafferi is good at. Antonina Shevchenko, somebody who, you know, people, they scoff at her grappling skills. She gets full mount on uh, Casey O'Neill and gets these uh, uh, solid strikes off ultimately she gets reversed and put on her back but Roxanne Modafferi is the best fighter she's fought in the UFC to this point and she's great at exactly what has been giving uh Casey O'Neill some issues and that's getting taken down and being held down as well and Roxanne Modafferi is definitely one of the better women in this division now a lot of people are going to say oh you know look at her age she's getting up there in age but in my opinion with women's MMA if you have uh an older woman but uh her base is grappling I don't think it causes too much cause for concern not to mention Modafferi is quite durable right she's going in there with some pretty uh vicious women Viviani Rujo, Tyler Santos and coming out you know relatively unscathed I will say Casey O'Neill uh she is more aggressive than those women she looks more for the finish than those women uh, so that is obviously a little bit of um cause for concern if you are looking to back Modafferi here but Modafferi in professional MMA fights has not been finished since 2010 we're talking over 10 years now since we've actually seen her finish not to mention she was able to come back uh, a couple years later and defeat the same woman by a finish uh so she managed to avenge that loss but uh the last time she was actually finished you know we're talking about uh, exhibition fights now as well when she was on the ultimate fighter uh season 18 she got finished by jessica rocosi who's a boxer so um she, that but that's a lot that's the last time it's been a long time we're talking about almost nine years ago the last time she's actually been finished so going to be very difficult for Casey O'Neill to pull her away uh, and she really you know she relies on uh, scrambles and being able to get out of bad positions and then taking advantage of the striking or even just being the more aggressive woman that's where she gets her success I find that difficult to believe that she's just going to run through um, uh, that she's going to run through uh, Roxanne Modafferi at an 80% indicated line right close to 80% in my opinion that that's absolutely crazy and people you know most gamblers degenerate gamblers they don't want to hear about percentages they don't want to hear about you know a, a big underdog having a chance because they just want to go out there and parlay the big favorite but watch performances not the results watch the performances and i guarantee you after you watch those three fights with casey O'Neill, even though she gets the finish she looks impressive don't get me wrong she's very promising but she has somebody finally that has solid durability and will likely have better uh, ability to keep her opponent down and have success in the grappling and clinch exchanges with Modafferi. She's still quite strong. She's still quite durable. That's the case that I'm trying to make here with Modafferi. With that said, I'm still picking Casey O'Neill here. I'm, she's going to be my prediction, but I would not advise getting trigger happy on parlaying her in every single spot because once this fight comes down and she uh, might lose, then you're going to be pissed off at yourself for parlaying everything with her. Sure, go ahead, toss her in a couple parlays. I'm not saying not to, 
but don't put your house on it as somebody earlier on twitter told me that, that that's not the way to go about it especially if you're playing a straight a 27 percent return roughly not not a good look uh but i will pick her to win this fight i do think she eventually finds that top position in the second or third round and starts raining down big shots uh again modafferi will cover up well uh she'll do a good job in terms of trying to bucking and trying to create scrambles but i think at a certain point casey o'neill will just be a little bit too much on top those elbows are going to start to land and i think she eventually gets her out of there but odds don't reflect how close this fighter is going to be in my opinion so uh official prediction casey o'neill i think she gets the tko probably second or third round um but she's going to be a no play for me i'm not putting her on anything this week if anything i'm just gonna skip this fight for my hail mary parlay for my gabby garcia parlay i'll likely be keeping her off uh keeping that fight in total off of it um but i still think casey gets it done so like i said official prediction let's go casey o'neill uh TKO second or third round. Andre Arlovsky versus Jared Vandera. We got minus 140 on Arlovsky, plus 120 the return on Jared Vandera. And this line has moved a lot. Uh, Vandera actually opened her up around that plus 250 line, and his line has steadily been coming down as people start running the tape and starting to see that Jared Vandera isn't actually a sack of shit, as most people like to refer to him. That guy is actually pretty decent, especially when he's not fighting somebody that's looking to drag him to the ground and just pummel him there. Obviously, Alexander Romanov was successful in doing so, as well as Sergei Spivak, but that's not how Andre Arlovsky fights. Andre, you know, at this part of his career, uh, has been focusing on being a point fighter, sticking and moving, trying to put up output and volume against his opponents. But luckily for him, his last several opponents have kind of allowed him to do that uh, without much... Uh, return uh, in terms of uh effective uh activity in return uh so yeah arlovsky can get up can get up there in the 90s and 100s significant strikes landed uh but when he's not meeting much resistance it's pretty easy for him to do so right chase sherman usually only looks for big shots or a couple uh, leg kicks uh carlos philippe again mainly just looks to try to take your head off um philippe lands very low output guy that he was able to uh output in that fight um who's the other guy uh the canadian tanner bozer another guy uh landing mainly just leg kicks uh, close fight depends on how you score the damage of the leg kicks but again that's how he gets away with the jared vandera though that guy's a solid striker for heavyweight standards. Good combinations, good forward pressure, active with the leg kicks. But the main thing is he throws in combinations and he throws with not like fight-ending heat. He throws with enough to keep that pace up for 15 minutes if he needs to. There's a decision lost on his record earlier in the uh, in his career before he even made it to the contender series against Vernon Lewis, and he was a minus. He was a pretty hefty favorite in that fight, if I'm not mistaken, between minus 250 and minus 300. And I thought he clearly won that fight, for some, but for some reason, the judges scored it the other way. Now, he was a little bit more gun-shy, in a sense, in that fight than we saw in the Justin Toffa fight. But there was a lot of power coming from the Vernon Lewis side, which I think made it slightly less uh, active for um, Vandera. But I still thought he was more than active enough to be able to deserve that decision. The Justin Toffa fight was a great fight for him, right? Again, Toffa is not Arlovsky. Toffa doesn't move as well as Arlovsky. I, I completely get that. But I loved his approach in that fight. Anytime Justin Toffa landed a kick or a punch or anything, Vandera returned with a couple more of his own. He gets hit once. He goes out there and tries to hit him back two or three times. That's great 
in in terms of optics and and talking about what the judges are looking for here against Arlovsky sure he can stick and move but I think every time he tries to stick he's going to get countered uh and get pushed back and it's going to look like Vandera will more than likely be winning those exchanges every time they engage in anything and then let's add in the power that Vandera can generate from his striking as well because I still think that Arlovsky although he's been quite durable over his last last several fights I don't think he's had somebody that throws with some of the power that Vandera has in the combinations that he does and I think at, at the end of some of these combinations he could catch Andrzej with something so I, I like Vander a lot I wish I got in on the line earlier or at least on the studying earlier when he was like plus 165 plus 170 but he's easily my dog of the night for this card I got two units on him at plus 140 already I think he's a great spot uh, and I think he's going to pull off the upset here against the aging veteran 43 year old Andrzej compared to the I believe 30 or 31 year old uh Jared Vandera so uh yeah I like Vandera a lot in this spot I think he even finds the knockout but let's not get too greedy let's put most of that money on the money line and then you can sprinkle the KO prop a little bit if it's uh, at a good price so I'm going Jared Vandera I'm taking him by it's called second round knockout Bobby Green versus Nazrat Hakparast. We got minus 145 on Bobby Green and plus 125 the return on Nazrat Hakparast. Now, uh, it was very interesting to see Bobby Green go out there and get a finish in his last fight. And even more interesting was that it was eight years exactly since the last time he got a KO finish, although there were some weird circumstances surrounding that uh, finish or KO victory of James Krause. I'm not going to get too far into it. If you guys are interested, go back and watch it on Fight Pass. But it wasn't a legitimate knockout. Let's get that clear. But uh, to get that victory over Ally Quinta, the way that he did was very impressive, as, especially considering that everybody expected him to be a decision fighter at this point in his career. And again, the statistics uh, show that as well, that he is mainly a decision fighter. But Ally Quinta actually uh, kind of admitted it after uh, that fight. And ultimately, that's why he ended up retiring. But he said, as soon as I got cracked, I just knew I wanted out of there. And that's why Bobby Green, in my opinion, was able to go out there and land the shots that he was able to and then ultimately follow up with some ground and pound and get that finish. So good win for him there. Uh, but his style is pretty much boxing, right? He likes to slip a lot. He likes to kind of t- eat a couple and 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 return fire as well. Uh, he doesn't really like to mix much else into his game. Game, right very rarely do you see him going for takedowns or clinching with his opponent he likes fighting in that boxing distance in that pocket range and just likes to exchange with his opponent Nazrat Hakpras will more than likely be willing to throw with him here as uh, his last time around he fought a much more versatile striker and Dan Hooker who was just having absolute success from the outside landing pretty much at will and Nazra Hackpross was throwing at at air pretty much for the entire time uh, I'm sure he'll hit Bobby Green a couple of times here uh, I'm just not sure how cleanly uh, and I ultimately think he's going to be eating some uh uh, some counters for his troubles now I believe Hackpress has about a 70% t- a striking defense rate which isn't that bad considering the level of competition he's been going up against but I think that Bobby Green is just a slicker boxer in this spot uh, my concerns with him are usually that he doesn't um, he, he usually doesn't have the the widest you know, uh, widest performance. And what I mean by that is like, it's not as dominant when it should be dominant, right? There are just so many fights of his that just play out a little bit too close that usually don't justify his betting line, which is usually in that minus 250 to minus 300 range. 
So it's interesting to see him at that minus 145 line here. Again, this fight could be close. Hackpress is a striker. He's a striker. I could see them going at it. And uh, Hackpress might land some big bombs at times. But Bobby Green has shown a pretty solid chin up until this point. So I'd be surprised if he gets dropped or rocked or finished by any of these spots. Uh, but I do like Bobby Green here. Uh, not, not enough to bet it. The interesting line here is actually the over 2.5, which is at minus 225. Now, that seems like it should be a little wide, right? That's usually... Uh, kind of what people say around that minus 200 line but the last time Bobby Green stepped in the cage against Ali Quinta that over two and a half was at minus 400 and now that he got a finish in his last fight that number is starting to come down so I think there is some value at that minus 225 range as I do expect this fight to play out over 15 minutes who gets their hand raised I'm thinking Bobby Green but I don't mind needing a little bit of chalk uh, just to have that uh, over two and a half because, again, that that seems to be the spot in this fight. Uh, I'm going to go Bobby Green. Uh, I think he'll land the better of the exchanges. I think he'll land more frequently as well. Uh, and I think he should go on and have a classic Bobby Green type performance. So my prediction for this fight is going to be Bobby Green via decision. Kyler Phillips versus Marcelo Rojo. We got minus 365 on Phillips and plus 280 to return on Rojo. Now, this is a fun fight. You know, I'm always a big fan of watching Phillips go out there and, and compete with his flashy style. But now he has a willing dance partner in Marcelo Rojo that should produce fireworks and it should be very entertaining for us as fans. In terms of a betting perspective, though, minus 365 doesn't sit too nice with me uh, on the Phillips side. He should win and we We've seen him fight a similar archetype before in a guy in Song Yudong who throws as much heat as Marcelo Rojo, kind of comes forward the same way, but obviously Song Yudong a much better version of Rojo, and we saw Phillips easily pick up the first two rounds in their fight, ultimately winning a decision that night. Uh, on the Rojo side... Um, like uh, he is coming off a knockout loss to Charles Jordan in a, a barn burner of a fight, ultimately getting finished near the ending of that third round. Uh, but that's how he fights. He moves forward. He throws big bombs. Sometimes you're throwing a takedown or two, but more often than not, he wants to go out there and try to knock your head into the fifth row. Uh, I think Phillips will be ready for that. I think Phillips' movement is going to be too good for him. He'll be able to strike in and out very well before getting hit too badly. And... I think the main thing that he should be focusing on this fight is getting the fight to the ground. Use that jujitsu. You know, I believe four out of the seven losses on Rojo's record have come via submission, and they've come against guys that aren't as good as Philip, uh, Kyler Phillips on the ground. Phillips is very well versed on the ground and does a very good job in terms of changing levels and timing opportune takedowns. And I think that's exactly what could happen here. John Crouch and the guys over there at the MMA lab, I'm sure they'll have him ready to go, especially with a, a, a grapple-heavy approach, especially if he can get this fight to the ground and use his jiu-jitsu. That's where he will shine. Um, there are some question marks in terms of Phillips's cardio, right? I don't want to put too much stock into the Paiva fight because... He was a couple punches away from finishing Paiva that night. Excuse me. Um, he clearly emptied the tank in that first round, and that ultimately paid, or he paid for that in the second and third rounds. Um, we do see him kind of slow down in the Song Yudong fight in that third round as well. His output is just not as much. Uh, we're seeing Yudong getting the better of him, and I think Yudong deserved to win that round as well. So there is that bit of concern that if he starts slowing down here against Rojo, especially if he takes a grapple-heavy approach, then that cardio might get gassed a little bit faster, and Rojo might be able to get to the chin a little quicker the later that this fight goes. That's what's kind of keeping me off of Phillips or even parlaying him heavily at this minus 365 range. He should win this fight. 
And I think he has a damn good chance of finishing him. So the spot that I'm actually going to be looking at, and the odds are not out for this yet, but the under two and a half, if that's at plus money, I'll likely take a little bit of a shot at it because I think there's finishing upside on both sides. Obviously, the KO threat from Rojo, but the KO and submission threat from the Phillips side because he's, in my opinion, that much better than Rojo. So uh, I like Phillips here. Uh, again, I'm not a too high on the, the price tag, but he should win this fight. He should go out there and do what he needs to do. And in my opinion, that's getting this fight to the ground and getting that submission. So uh, I'll have a little bit on Kyler's submission here, uh, a little bit on the under, again, if it's at plus money. But my official prediction for this fight is going to be Kyler Phillips via submission. Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson. We got minus 170 on the killer gorilla Jared Cannonier and plus 150 the return on Derek Brunson, who's been on an absolute tear over his last five fights, where he's on a five fight winning streak, been able to dispatch of some guys, finish Edmund Shabazian as a big underdog, finish Darren Till as a slight underdog. And that underdog trend continues, right? In those five fights, he was an underdog in four of them. The only other fight, he was actually a pick'em price against Elias Theodoru, and that fight was the one that sparked this five-fight winning streak for him. And once again, he comes in as an underdog here against Jared Cannonier, not really getting the love of the public or the odds makers. But I think this line is quite accurate. I think, honestly, when I was first taping this fight, it was uh, roughly around minus 180, minus 185 for Jared Cannonier, and I thought that was... Uh, you know, a solid line, a good spot to take Jared Cannonier. So now seeing the line kind of start move in here, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, remain a little patient. I'll wait for my entry point on Jared Cannonier into this spot as I believe he is the spot in this fight. So Jared Cannonier, obviously we know he used to fight a heavyweight, light heavyweight, and now has finally found a solid home at middleweight and likely would have secured a title shot for himself if he was able to get past Robert Whitaker two fights ago. Unfortunately, that fight did not go his way, and I believe he broke his arm early in that fight, which ultimately led to lower volume and lower work rate from him in that fight. But bounced back very well against Calvin Gaslam last time around in August in a fight that I was actually live from. Well, you guys can't see it in the frame here, but I have my VIP ticket hanging over my right shoulder. But um, solid performance from him there. Good striking, you know, solid work in, in the clinch and the, the grappling. But the main thing here is whenever you go back and watch these fights for uh, for Jared Cannonier, he has damn good takedown defense, specifically at 185 pounds. He's been able to stuff 22 out of 26 takedown attempts from his opponents. And even when taken down he does a damn good job of getting back to his feet like you see his fights in the light heavyweight and heavyweight division where he struggles to get back up from you know under some of these bigger and better grapplers and although Derek Brunson will have the grappling advantage in this fight I don't know if he'll be able to complete takedowns regularly enough nor hold down Jared Cannonier long enough to actually score well on the judges scorecards and then on the feet Jared Cannonier will send this guy into orbit. You know what I mean? I think that Cannonier still has that crazy knockout power. And we've seen Derek Brunson, even in every single fight that he's won during this five fight winning streak, um, he gets rocked and hurt and put on wobbly legs in every fight. And luckily, his takedowns are able to bail him out. But I don't think they're going to bail him out here against the guy in Cannonier who has great takedown defense. And again, great ability to get back to his feet, great awareness to nullify the amount of success his opponents have in those grappling exchanges. So I really like Jared Cannonier in this spot. You know, even though Brunson's averaging 3.15 takedowns per 15 minutes, and even though he's riding this five fight winning streak, and even though Jared Cannonier was a plus 230 underdog to Jack Hermanson before he starched him in the second round of that fight that was a great indicator of how this fight could possibly go right Hermanson was just diving for legs and could uh you know was just hoping to get the fight to the ground and that just did not transpire and that's where Jared Cannonier was able to start pulling away 
we can say which we, what we want about Hermanson and Brunson and who's the better takedown artist. I would say maybe Brunson is, but I think at a certain point it's not gonna it's not gonna pay off for him. And we can really nitpick, you know, the 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 run that Derek Brunson's been on. Say what you want about Elias, you know, the the Heinish fight. You know, it was weird to see Heinish have such a cardio dump in that second round and third round and couldn't really keep up with what Brunson was doing. So solid and fair win for Derek Brunson. Don't get me wrong, but. As time has gone on, we've seen, you know, Edmund Shabazzian, that line was absolutely inaccurate concerning the the cardio issues he continuously has. And uh, Derek Brunson was able to take full advantage of that, not without some adversity early in that fight. But again, we can nitpick the cardio uh, disadvantage that uh, Shabazzian had in that fight. Kananir ain't no have no uh, uh, cardio disadvantage or cardio uh, issues. I think he'll be fine no matter how long this fight goes. Uh, What was the fight after that? the um the Derek uh, the, the Darren Till fight you know another one where I heard that Darren Till was going into that with a, a pretty beater uh a battered and, and broken uh, knee and an injured knee if I'm not mistaken and I believe he talked about it after the fight as well but uh yeah a, a couple nitpicky things that we can do with Derek Brunson's record and then obviously I, I skipped over it but the Kevin Holland fight we know Kevin Holland can't defend a takedown for his life especially that version of him and I think that Jared Cannonier will be his toughest test in terms of being able to get this guy to the ground and controlling him people see Brunson controlling all these other guys but they're you know I don't know if they're not doing their tape study but there is not a fight that you can show me in the middleweight career of Jared Cannonier that shows me that he just lays on his back and accepts the position i think the most time control time he's ever given up is against david branch high level jiu-jitsu uh black belt uh but even that he was able to defend properly uh get back to his feet and make uh david branch pay and eventually knock him out that's what i think gonna happen here even if Derek brunson lands a takedown i think we'll see cannonier get back to his feet and knock him out so i'm gonna go second round knockout here for jared uh i want to say jared vandera uh second round knockout for jared cannonier and don't be surprised if you guys see me with a hefty wager on him this weekend Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa. We got minus 180 on the Black Beast. We'll have the hometown advantage here. Uh, plus 155, the return on Tai Tuivasa. Now, both these guys have legitimate knockout power, right? That's kind of the main thing that makes this fight so exciting. But in terms of a striking style, the main difference between the two is that Tai Tuivasa at times likes to chop down that lead leg of his opponents and then start to let his hands go after you see it in the Greg Hardy fight and numerous fights before that. I was surprised that we didn't see it as much in the Sakai fight, given how mobile Sakai is. But it didn't matter anyway, because Tai Tuivasa eventually tracked him down and knocked him out in that second round. Derek Lewis, on the other hand, obviously he's coming back from that uh, um, Chris Dawkins fight where he was able to find that knockout and put him out. And that is just another clear example of who gives a shit about who's more technical than Derek Lewis? If he finds that chin, he's eventually going to put you out. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen here against Tuivasa. Um, I don't have a huge lean on it, right? It's not a lock of the night play type of feel or anything because Tuivasa could easily land his own big punch and put uh, Derek Lewis down. Most of Derek Lewis's TKO losses have come due to just exhaustion or his opponents really working the body well. Um, but the last time we saw him like really out out was against Matt Mitrione back in 2014, I believe it was. It's been years since we've seen him actually out out. And uh, Mitrione did a very good job of putting him away. He got rocked a little bit by Sean Jordan by this weird wheel kick type of thing or hook kick that he threw. 
And then uh, Sean Jordan was able to get on top of him and just TKO him with a ground and pound in that spot. Tai Tuivasa uh, only been stopped one time against Junior Dos Santos, uh, who hurt him pretty heavily on the feet, and then eventually got into full mount and put, pounded him out that way. But outside of that, Tai Tuivasa has not lost via knockout. He was close against Greg Hardy when Greg Hardy landed a beautiful shot but the inexperience of Greg Hardy led him to get countered perfectly by Tuivasa and his lights actually ended up going out that night uh no big lean here uh the under one and a half you know a lot of people like to try to be sneaky and pick the over one and a half in heavyweight fights I don't think that this one's gonna go uh, over one and a half I don't even think it's gonna reach the second round and the reason I say that is they're in the co-main event slot here in the hometown of Derek Lewis that guy likes to go out there and put on big shows and big spots uh, i know he's had a decision against Ilir latifi in the past uh but he has a willing striker with him in tai tuivaso who wants to put on just as much of a show as Derek lewis so um the under one and a half if we get it around minus 150 or better i might have a little bit of a play on it uh the fight doesn't start round two hopefully that's plus money i wouldn't mind taking a stab at that and then obviously Derek lewis round one that should more than likely be uh plus money and that's kind of the spot that i like most in terms of props so uh i I'm going Derek Lewis, and I think he gets it done in front of his hometown via first round knockout. Time for the main event. It is Act Two of the middleweight title fight between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. We got minus 275 on Israel Adesanya and plus 225 the return on Robert Whitaker. Now, when the first time these guys stepped into the cage against each other, I believe it was October of 2019, we saw the pick em price on both guys here. It was a 50-50 fight going into that fight. Israel Adesanya ultimately dispatches of him in the second round of that fight. Uh, looked competitive up until the last couple seconds of that uh, first round where Israel Adesanya was able to lay him out, uh, rock him very badly, and then ultimately uh, finish him in the second round after having him wobbled early in that fight. Uh, a couple other interesting facts regarding this specific fight. Whitaker was actually coming off a 14th month long layoff going into that fight against Israel Adesanya, which is obviously not very, um, you know, uh, not the best <laughs> to go up uh, against Israel Adesanya after such a long layoff. Uh, not to mention he was dealing with a hernia-related issue, which ultimately caused him to pull out of that fight against Calvin Gastelum um, the same night, I believe, Israel Adesanya fought Anderson Silva. Uh, but he comes back, rehabs, gets back to you know somewhat good health, and goes up against Adesanya. And apparently, according to a lot of the interviews after the fight, he was dead set on trying to take the head off of Israel Adesanya. And you could see that in his game plan. He was going out there and he was just trying to knock the hell out of Israel Adesanya, you know, a little bit more um, aggressive than he normally is, right? He was darting in and out a lot. He was putting up a lot of volume, which is why I thought he had a good case of winning that first round up until getting dropped and rocked uh, by uh, Israel Adesanya in the last seconds. But uh, after that, Whitaker just was not the same. Adesanya was able to just wait, stay patient, and eventually find that kill shot midway through the second round. I'm glad that Whitaker has acknowledged that though, right? Since then, uh, he's been on a three-fight winning streak with wins over Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, and Calvin Gastelum. And now he only has a 10-month layoff since his last fight. But, you know, he's healthy. He was remaining as active as possible. I believe the Till and Cannonier fights were only three months apart. Uh, and then the Gastelum fight was back in April of 2021. 
So it's good to see him active. On the flip side, you got Israel Adesanya, who since that fight has beaten Romero, uh, Paulo Costa. He lost to Jan Blachowicz, trying to uh, become double champ. And then he rebounds quickly after that, three months after that, uh, and defeats Vittori to defend his middleweight title. Um, I, I'm intrigued by this fight because there's no way that the odds represent how close this fight is actually going to be. People just see the knockout from the first fight and they automatically think that Adesanya is going to do the same thing. Like, if these guys fought 10 times, does he knock him out every single time? I, I just don't think so. Um, not saying that's what the odds are indicating, but like at a 73% implied probability, like 7 out of 10 times does it happen? I still don't believe that that happens. I think if this fight goes 25 minutes, Robert Whitaker has a great style to win minutes, and especially against Adesanya, you know, if he can mix in some takedowns and mix in some volume on the feet, he could absolutely sway the judges in his favor. Uh, over the last two fights, Israel Adesanya has been taken down just as many times as he was in his first nine fights in the UFC. And that number seven, we saw obviously Jan Blachowicz be able to control him in the third or fourth and fifth round by taking him down. Obviously, Jan Blachowicz is going to have 20, 30 more pounds than what Whitaker will have when he steps into the cage against Adesanya. So that is definitely a, a contributing factor as to why the grapple-heavy approach was successful there. And then we saw in the Marvin Vittori fight, as Vittori landed four takedowns out of the five rounds, uh, and he was able to control Izzy for about a minute to a minute and a half each time. But every time they got back to the feet, Izzy got got right back to work got his strikes going landed the more thunderous shots and that's where i think the difference with whitaker is going to come i think whitaker will land some takedowns here and he could get maybe a minute of control time on top but then on the feet he doesn't have that slow brutish style of marvin vittori where he's super hittable right he just plods forward and he doesn't mind taking one on the chin because he thinks he can hit you back harder but that doesn't work well in the the judge's favor whereas Whitaker, a little bit more elusive, a little bit lighter on his feet, has decent enough volume, has a good in and out style. And if he can find a way to stay safe from that big power of Adesanya, especially off of those counter shots, I think he could win in minutes in this spot. So I, I do like Bobby Knuckles in this spot. Uh, I think he's a very good bet, especially at plus 225. And I don't care what anybody says. You can justify a minus 275 against a guy that I believe is one of the best middleweights of all time, right? Robert Whitaker uh, is right there 1A and 1B with Israel Adesanya, at least in terms of current active middleweights. And I think that's why he deserves to have, you know, he should be maybe plus 140, plus 150. Sure, Adesanya should be the favorite in this spot, but I just don't think... Um, you know, to to this extent at minus 275. So uh, I like Whitaker. I think he'll do enough work overall, land a couple takedowns, um, you know, volume on the feet. Um, yeah, I think he'll fight a much smarter fight than he did when he f uh, first stepped in the cage against Adesanya. So I'm going and new once again for Robert Whitaker, and I think he gets it done via decision. And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, please hit that like, hit that subscribe, show your boys some love that way. And if you want to go the extra mile, Patreon is in the description below. Five bucks a month. Like I said at the top of the show, a ton of great perks for you guys. And I didn't even get to shout out Coolbet at the top of the show. Shout out to Coolbet. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 100%. I believe that's what, no, sorry, it, they match it up to 200 bucks. I got it wrong last time. I'm getting it right this time. 200 bucks is what they'll match you up to uh, if you use promo code MMALOTN2. And lastly, if you guys don't already know, I'm sure I've already said it a gajillion times by now, 
The Coach's Main Event Marathon begins tomorrow. I'll be dropping the episode. Uh, I believe I'll be dropping it at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time. I'm actually going to be premiering it. So what that means is you guys will be watching it drop as I drop it. And I'll be chilling in the live chat with you guys just to talk about the show and see how you guys enjoy it. I'm actually doing it with this episode here right now. It's something that I want to do moving forward so that I can kick it with you guys in the live chat while the episode is going on and I don't have to worry about uh, talking to you guys. I just have to type to you guys. So I be can't wait to be doing that. All right. Appreciate the love. A ton of great content coming through you to you guys throughout the week. Remember, propping you up this week. It's a pay-per-view episode. That means it's on the All-Star, and it'll be me and Cody uh, doing the breakdown for you guys. Friday, don't have my guests yet, but I'm pretty sure it'll be somebody that you're going to want to hear from. Trust me, I got a couple in the bag that I can't wait to bring out for you guys. And then Saturday, obviously, Fight Day live chat, 1 p.m. Eastern, going over all things uh ufc 271 for the last minute oh sorry and last one uh, one last thing a uh, friday 7 p.m eastern ig live that's why i've been plugging the ig a little bit over the last couple of videos ig live 7 p.m eastern talking to you guys i always talk to you guys in the dms and comment section and all that now is your opportunity to hop on an ig live with me drop your best bet for ufc 271 and i'm going to try to cycle through as many of you guys as possible within 30 to 45 minutes so make sure you guys go check that shit out too all right Enough rambling from me. Appreciate you guys checking out the episode. Good luck on your bets this week, and I'll see you guys throughout the week.